welcome to the podcast. My name is Andy Fernandez. My name is Michael Fernandez. And this is What Makes It Great, the podcast where we talk about what makes each movie on the American Film Institute's list great. And today's the very first episode. We are talking about 1915's The Birth of a Nation, directed by D.W. Griffith, David Wark Griffith. That's a I just had to include his middle name because who yeah, names their kid Wark? Wark? W-A-R-K. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> had you seen the movie before? I have not seen the movie before this weekend. Yeah. Um, I had seen you? clips um, actually in, like, multicultural diversity classes and stuff. I remember watching clips of it in there and talking about, like, check out this racism. Um <laughs> And then I, uh, I think I took like a film history class or two and may have seen clips of it in there. It's definitely talked about in my film history textbooks that I remember taking. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of high, held in high regard in a lot of these film history things, but also very problematic as, um, <laughs> as yeah. we will talk about. Yeah, definitely. So you hadn't seen it before? I hadn't seen it. I hadn't even really heard of the movie until this podcast, to be completely honest with you. Um, I didn't remember seeing the AFI Top 100 list in our house, you know, like taped up behind the door in the little front room. Yeah, we had and, printed uh, it off like a like number of sheets, sheets of paper, of paper and we just together you loosely <laughs> taped it on the back of a door and we would write our initials next to each one that we had seen and yeah. it was kind of like a competition. Oh, I've seen 20. I don't even remember seeing seen. this movie on the list back then, so I don't know yeah. if this movie existed until like what is, I think it's no, it was ago. number like we probably should say that. It's it number was number 44. Number 44 on the original list. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it came out in like 96 or something 1998. Like that. 98. Um Yeah, so I never really even heard of it and then whenever you told me about it, you know, I was kind of lost already at silent film already like uh-oh. Oh yeah. You know, I remember watching silent films in some of my film classes at school, and I was just like, I, I "Not for you." Like pulling teeth, but uh, yeah, so that was one. And then two, you were like, "And there's blackface, and it's pretty racist." And I was like, "Oh no!" Yeah. And then I looked into it and was not too excited going into it. And honestly, honest. <laughs> the blackface is the wor- least of its problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, that yeah. is the one of the least racist parts of it. It yeah. sounds terrible, but it was like after watching it for a little <laughs> while, the blackface part of it was like, I was like, that, you know, okay, I can get past that in there some respects. Some... There's some other things in it that were shockingly offensive. Were there some African-American actors? Yeah, they're in... mixed okay, in. Okay, good. It was like a... Yeah, there's no it's, way. Yeah, it's it's quite the, the blackface was very shocking to see. It did like it was there. Like, yeah, it, I always noticed it. Mm-hmm. But always, always. But yeah, there were other things going on. Definitely. Right. So I, I had never seen it either. I don't know if I had said that. So my first time watching it was this past weekend as well. Yeah, okay. Um, and it just for anyone listening, it, this movie is in the public domain, mm-hmm. so you can watch it for free in the United States on youtube or and things like that so um, i would YouTube'd. not recommend spending money on it definitely do not spend money on it and don't support this kind of i don't even know stuff well we'll get into it later but i was like watch out maybe don't spend a youtube search on it either yeah <laughs> i search this movie on like all of my computers and stuff like that i'm getting all sorts of crazy recommendations <laughs> yeah well so but. there's a lot to talk about with this movie too mm-hmm. though um in terms of you know what the movie actually is the the techniques involved the production of it inv- that was involved definitely um it, yeah it had value it, had, it was very like it's weird to say but 
I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, it, I okay. So let's talk about. So it is a long movie. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, you have a little thing pulled up right here, and it says three hours and thirteen minutes. Mm-hmm. And this is the actual. This is the video that I watched too. Yeah. The title of it, if you're looking for the exact one that we watched, it's on YouTube. It's called "The Birth of a Nation, 1915 1080p" is mm-hmm. the title of the video, and it's three hours and thirteen minutes long and twenty six seconds. Yeah. Um, and it's silent. It's and silent. that is, one, it's already one of the longest movies I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And two, it's, I don't know if I'd seen a full-length silent movie before. So it was quite a daunting task. Um, well, I've definitely never seen a full-length silent movie that was three hours long. That's for sure. Right. I'm, I'm I've definitely seen shorts seen. like that I've are 20 minutes. Uh-huh. That's not a lot. I, I have seen, um, we watched in school, in film class, we watched The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is like a German silent film that was like an hour and a half long. Huh. Um, and that was the longest silent film I've ever seen. This is twice the length. I think uh, I've only seen a couple like, t- you know, short ones definitely. But yeah, this was insane. Yeah. So... <laughs> I was ready to just kind of have to force myself through this. And mm-hmm. I did just for, not for lack of, you know, interest in the watching the movie, but it did take me a couple of times sitting through to watch the movie. I, I, I watched like an hour of it at one point, and then I came back to it at the end of the day and watched another hour. And then the next morning I woke up and watched the last hour kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. So it took me a couple of sittings to get through it. How about I, you? Uh, I watched like the first part you know it's it's split up into two parts i watched the first part and then stopped it there and then i started the second part the next morning but i started doing like chores and things like that and i got distracted Mm -hmm. um and then i like waited a day and then so i tried like two days ago on what's today's wednesday Mm -hmm. on monday i watched like the first half i watched the last the first part I watched the last like 15 minutes and then I just burned through the last part of it. The whole right. like hour and a half, last hour and a half. Right. It. And, um, it's surprisingly I'm sad that I broke it up that way. And we'll talk about that later. Cause yeah. the movie is divided. Like, and that second half is a lot rougher than the first half. Oh my half. God. Yes. The first half was kind of enjoyable. And the second half was not enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first, I guess, um, before oh. we jump into the movie, let's talk a little bit about, okay some of the the pre-production stuff of it a mm-hmm. little bit. So D.W. Griffith is the director of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but even prior to that, the this movie is based on a play, which is based on a book that it was called Dixon, The Klansman right? by Thomas Dixon That's Jr. Um, Thomas Dixon Jr. is a self-proclaimed white supremacist uh, yeah. um, and kind of supporter of this lost cause idea of the South as the victims of the Civil War and... They were yeah. punished by the North afterwards and that kind of view of history. So um, the Klansman was this book. He wrote a book series and it looks like the Klansman was the second of, of a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned into a play that same year that the book came out. And that the uh, movie, it seems, is more based on the play than it is on the book. Definitely. it. That, I'll talk about the acting later, but... It definitely like the big sets and everything like there mm-hmm. was huge casts like mm-hmm. so many like the wardrobes and everything and just like the way they were standing up there acting it was like they you know i don't know they right. were on stage they look like stage performers right um and the, everything's a little bigger 
Uh-huh. And I think that's pretty standard in my very limited understanding of the films of the time. Definitely. Like, um, they can't hear you. <laughs> right. 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 So you but apparently, in my, in my research for this, it w- they were more subdued than most other uh, movies. Yeah. So this was actually toned down a lot more. Really? Compared to a lot of other movies and, and, and shorts and things okay. that were of the, of the time. Um, so it was actually credited for creating more realistic acting, um, wow. believe it or not, because wow. it's. Uh, well, I don't think there's some caricatures that... a lot in these. Yeah, oh, definitely there's characters, but I don't think that it was like too well. It was pretty overacting, but I don't mm-hmm. think it was like too. Yeah. Too overacting. I think that it was very strange how like well does this movie fit in, like yeah, how easily consumed it was, and how like coherent of a story it was for three hours and. 10 or 13 minutes like it seemed oddly similar to modern film making and modern story like telling right and so the the it's like i said it's based on this play the klansman um the whenever it was starting to be made um dw griffith comes on he has he gets the rights to the book or the play mm-hmm. and he is one of the writers credited on the in the movie and he's the director mm-hmm. um, prior to this he was directing a lot of short films um, and kind of developing a lot of the techniques that you see in this movie mm-hmm. um but uh, this was like his, this was his, he was, had a name already, but this was kind of his big breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, he is credited for a lot of, well, oh, the other thing I wanted to say about the author, he said that a movie of this could only be made by the son of a Confederate. Okay. And <laughs> D.W. Griffith is the son of a Confederate colonel. Oh, God. Um, born in Kentucky, I believe. His father was a colonel in the Confederate army um, during the Civil War. Uh, if you see pictures of him on the set, he's always wearing this like cowboy hat that looks very much like a Confederate general kind of, you know, army hat that you would see Robert E. Lee wearing or something. Um, and he's very well dressed. He looks like a Southern gentleman kind of a thing. And, and, uh, that's, that's kind of the persona that he looks like in all these pictures of him. And the movies, you're talking about DW, right? Mm -hmm. So the movie starts off with these like slides which you expect in a silent movie you know to like tell you you know some conversation or some you know exclamation or something you know what's going on yeah in the i think they're film. called like inner titles or interstitials or something yeah, like the that interstitials. um at the beginning they have like three or four of them that are paragraphs long I have the whole thing. That is just absolutely absurd, and it's just a circle jerk for D.W. Griffith. He's just like... How egotistical this is. so egotistical. Should I read some of this? Please, please read it. So there's obviously controversy today for this movie, but also at the time of the movie's release. And this actually... So so they they premiered it on the West Coast originally, I think. And then later on, they premiered it on the East Coast in New Mm -hmm. York. And so this little title wasn't on the original version of it, but it was for the New York premiere is what it looks like. So he added this after the fact. And it says, We do not fear censorship, for we have no wish to offend with improprieties or obscenities. But we do demand as a right the liberty to show the dark side of wrong, that we may illuminate the bright side of virtue, the same liberty that is conceded to the art of the written word, that art to which we owe the Bible and the works of Shakespeare. If in this work we have conveyed to the mind the ravages of war, to the end that war may be held in abhorrence, this effort will not have been in vain. So he's comparing his work to the Bible and Shakespeare. Was that was, and that was at the beginning, right? That was at the very beginning of the movie. That's one of the first things you see. Yeah. Whenever you start, whenever you start watching this thing, so yeah. you're like, oh boy, buckle up! What am I in for? 
that even wasn't wasn't even what I was talking about. I was talking about him putting his initials all over the interstitials. Oh, and everything. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is me. The uh, mark of the mark of DW will be in the top left and right corner of every single interstitial. Yeah, and my name and my I signature totally will forgot be at the about bottom. That. You will not forget who's making this film. It is me, goddammit. Yeah, like, yeah. There's you know like there's a thing you know that you learn about in film school, the auteur theory yeah. of like the the director is the author of the work. It's yeah. not the actors. It's not the writer. Yeah. It is the director and. I think he would buy into that theory considering how full of himself he appears just from the first minute before even an image appears on the screen. Just text. Yeah, just text. And I was like, oh, I'm already like, I was already not really excited about the movie. And that's the first thing. I was like, dude, are you serious? Yeah. I'm going to have a lot to talk about, aren't I? Dang it. (laughs) I had totally forgotten about that. Yeah, Yeah, that was kind of shocking. (laughs) But, you know, and then saying that his work's like the Bible, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Probably should focus on that more. But <laughs> so the movie actually was originally called The Klansman. Okay. Um, and then it premiered as The Klansman and it was promoted as The Klansman. And then the, eventually the title was changed. And by eventually, I mean within shortly after, right mm. at the premiere or something, was changed to The Birth of a Nation. Um, and that's kind of an ongoing thing is that D.W. Griffith was constantly cutting and updating and editing the movie. Even after it had premiered somewhere, he would continue to make changes to it for the next premiere. Because mm. um, these movies didn't show like movies nowadays where they open all everywhere, w- everywhere at the same time. Yeah. They are kind of were taken to this place and shown here and then taken over here and shown here. And It's like an author being able to like test his book different places and then mm-hmm. change it when he goes to the next city or like yeah. just change your story a little bit and that's kind of a, an ongoing theme with a lot of these older movies is that there's different versions of a lot of these other older movies mm-hmm. of like well okay well there's this version that's this like you know 180 minutes long and this version that's 200 minutes long and this version that's 163 and which one's the like well there really we is no definitive one, one so. <laughs> but it does look like with this one there kind of is one widely spread version of it yeah which is the one we watched yeah um trying to think of other things around pre-production i don't think did you have any other notes around the pre-production of anything Mm-mm. i guess the other thing is lillian gish or jish i don't know how to pronounce her last That's name one of the actresses, she's right? one of the actresses and she was kind of the biggest star okay. of the film which and, one um, she, yeah. she plays elsie stoneman the daughter of of the northern guy the stonemans are the northerns northerners and the camerons are the southerners and she's one of the daughters of the stoneman family okay it's very hard to follow whenever you don't have text (laughs) and like words and stuff yeah yeah um is she the blonde one with the creepy eyes yes that was her okay (laughs) that girl scared me Mm mm-hmm um, so she went on and she kind of was starred in a lot of D.W. Griffith's movies in the future and, okay. and was a, one of the bigger stars of the silent era. Gotcha. Um, this movie is still controversial to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, Lillian Gish had a movie theater, or not a movie theater, a theater in, named after her at Bowling Green University, I think. And within the last few years, it got renamed after a petition yeah. was created by the students of the university because they didn't want to be associated with someone that was associated with this movie. Yeah. Um, so it's still yeah. happening today. This movie is still relevant and in conversations today. That's what's scary, and I think that's the most, I don't know, that was like one of the biggest takeaways for me from this movie. It was like, wow, that was a very effective piece of storytelling. Mm. Um, it was like, And I understand like the production was so good. I understand that it's on the top 
100. Like, I understand that this is a film that's studied. It's a film that has historical, like, relevance and everything because, I don't know, the editing and everything, the techniques that were used, they were... I had no idea that they were, like, even... You know, yeah. thought up of back then like in the money that must have like cost to make that and like you know all those actors and actresses and everything and those sets and everything like it's so huge and that you have to like take into account that the technology was so so primitive like, right that was so impressive right and let's let's go ahead and and well the context of this before is before this movie um if you go back and watch older shorts um it they you know they're one they're real short and mm-hmm. <laughs> shorts um and the camera is very static. It stays in, in the same place mm-hmm. and it just kind of, you see some things that are happening and then it ends. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like you see one scene. You see one scene from afar, like from you're afar. watching it in a theater and they're like theater actors and actresses. Exactly. So it's like this, you didn't get that though, because you would get like wide shot close up and mm-hmm. wide shot close up. They would like cut, you know, mm-hmm. in the same scene, they would do multiple cuts, you know, even sometimes from like, different angles and things like that or like you know zoom out to a different like location you know it's crazy so there's so many different ways why this is movie is so too. different there's like yeah. cool like cuts and they had superimposed images in it like one point they had jesus at one point mm-hmm. like towards the end like imposed over everybody like mm-hmm. what the hell <laughs> yeah so let's so the other thing is like there's this movie is known for a lot of firsts or at least pi- pioneering a lot of techniques or mm-hmm. popularizing a lot of techniques one let's talk about the length of it mm-hmm. um it's super long. It was the first 12 reel film that was ever made. And wow. films at this time were judged by how many reels they took. Uh, how That was the length of them. Well, this one was 12 reels of film long. This was the longest film that had ever been made wow. up to this point. Um, it, was broad, it was broadcast. It was um, screened in a roadshow format. Mm-hmm. Um, movies cost about 10 cents on average for a ticket. People paid $2 a ticket to okay, see this I movie. I saw that on Wikipedia, and it said something like it was that's it was like two dollars and twenty cents for the New York premiere, and that was f- like the equivalent of fifty nine dollars a ticket. Yeah, like today. Yeah, it's insane, and it came with a program. They sold memorabilia and like things that so it was like uh, more like a Broadway show that was kind of touring. Yeah, that you would go to the oh Birth of a Nation's in town. Let's go watch it, and yeah. it would be in these giant movie palaces, these giant houses, um, and they would. You know, it was it was an event. It, <laughs> it was an event. Um, the so the length of it it has is the first movie. It's sometimes even credited as the first full length movie. There, I think there were other ones prior mm-hmm. to this that were we would consider full length. But um, one thing about D.W. Griffith on top of him is that we talked about how kind of he is an egotistical person. Mm-hmm. He's also a um, what's um, he's a good marketer. Yeah, and yeah. promoter of him, yeah. self promoter. So he, he, there's some debate. He promoted a lot of things like this is the first, this is the, and maybe it's not gotcha. quite. The, gotcha. <laughs> so, but it was marketed as like the first full length movie. It's the first movie with an intermission. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's the first movie, there. major movie with a dedicated musical score. Okay, yes, which we do need to talk about later because wow the score was very good yeah and so up to this point movies were just they would be played they were silent movies they'd be played and you'd have like an organist in the theater that would just kind of play along with something play modern songs just kind of improvise whatever this mm-hmm. one was a score was created and it was sent out to these places to for an orchestra to play while the movie's playing that's the first time that had ever been done that's really cool um it's also pioneers things like which we had already talked about close-ups um, cross cutting, 
So you'll see like shot reverse shot almost not really, but like they were doing cross. What's shot reverse shot? I'm not. That's familiar like with in that a too. conversation where it's like oh, got you over my shoulder. Show you, show me, then show back to you. Yeah. So I'm thinking. So there's a scene near the end where like two scenes are happening simultaneously, to, and they cut between them to kind of show that they're happening at the same time to kind of build tension and and drive the story forward. So I'm thinking there's a scene at the end when the Cameron family is stuck inside a cabin that is being attacked by. A lot of black people, yeah. Um, and the Ku Klux Klan is also riding in to save them, mm-hmm. and so it's cutting between them being attacked in the cabin and, and the, the horses galloping, and, it's, and it cu- cuts back and forth, and then finally they get there to save the day, kind of a mm-hmm. thing. So it's just it that that cutting back and forth. It's just like, oh, are they going to get? It's building this tension and building Good, this excitement, yeah. and and that's the first time. So um, what a what a basic thing technique that we take for granted that we see all the time now. Yeah. But that was to think of that, that being the first time that's ever done been yeah. done before is revolutionary. Uh-huh. And it was like, see, like you don't know it. Like it was seamless, you know, it wasn't like, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't like stand out or wasn't like out of place or anything with the rest of the movie. It was just like, like all of the effects, they didn't seem cheesy or anything like that. No. You know, like whenever new technology comes out nowadays with movies, yeah, you know, like a, uh, gimmicky it's gimmicky like, yeah not gimmicky at all very very smooth works so well it's just a yeah really good plot device or not plot device really good tool there um first time that it's ever used yeah that's mm-hmm. that's the, something that's a reason for me to be on this list the use of color tinting so it's and it's and it's a black and white film but they do use some color tinting in some scenes where it's like i guess they put a film or something over like a gel or something yeah film over and so there's some scenes that look blue or some scenes that look green or red exactly during Uh the battle scenes to kind of give it a little bit more emotion and and tell you this is an intense scene or this is a sad scene or missing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly um they do they use fade-ins and fade-outs and They have that technique. I don't know what it's called, but it goes into a circle, like an iris closing Uh around, you know, to like, this is where you want to focus and it'll zoom in and out. Like you said, at the end, they have other images superimposed on the film where you Mm -hmm. can see this big thing of Jesus, like, (laughs) you know, and then. Yeah, with all the, yeah. Yeah. um, The whiteies, yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of techniques that were kind of utilized for the first time or at least popularized within mainstream mm-hmm. things the other thing that he did for the first time is he's credited with being the first filmmaker to shoot a movie in hollywood really um that he kind of he's like oh this is like i like the weather here it's kind of nice all year round i think i'm gonna set up shop here and shortly thereafter hollywood kind of was popularized itself so not only is he kind of this movie and some of his other things are kind of developing and you can see the language of film being created being created yeah exactly and kind of he's figuring it out and he's saying this is what we can start doing more of and so other people pick up the baton and make it even better and mm-hmm. less racist and <laughs> definitely less racist yeah but you can see it like oh wow this yeah. is this is it seemed actually pretty it's modern the same, it's the same film language and definitely all the cuts and things Really what it made it like, I don't know, this is weird because it's, you know, with your eyes, but it made it palatable. It made it uh, entertaining to watch. It was like intriguing for my eyes to stare at this silent film, you know, because I was just listening to the music, which I could close my eyes and just hear that music and Mm -hmm. be on some other story. But like focusing on this movie, just seeing all the cuts and things that kept drawing me into it. 
and it was very engaging and i just kept thinking wow how shocking this must have been like how much more effective this must have been in 1915 when they had never seen anything like this Mm -hmm. and like filmed to them you know like photos and stuff standing there still for i don't know how long and like you know i don't even can't believe like how big were the cameras like how much film did they use like how many how long did it take to edit this film like yeah you know what other raw footage did they have like i think there was you know hundreds of hours of film yeah that were edited down to three hours basically um yeah there was a lot of stuff that was left out but and it i can't imagine how long it took to make Mm -hmm. and just kind of all the thought that had to go into it i mean Um, films like this before or films back then before this one must have been like really short or i don't know they're paying 10 cents they paid two like yeah 220 and this was the first of its kind in so many different aspects, including the lengths. Like, did it say anything on there? Do you know about like if, were people like really excited about it? Were uh, people lining up to go see it? It well, let, we can talk about that too. It was one of the most successful movies of all time. Really, um, it actually is credit. This is a, something else that's like I was looking for. It's apparently it's really hard to determine the exact amount of money that this movie earned, um, but. Some modern estimates have it making at about $1.8 billion in today's money, which if that is true, put it sixth all time, the highest grossing movies of all time behind uh, two Avengers movies, a Star Wars movie, Avatar and Titanic. The sixth, if that, if that, if that estimate is correct. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It was the most successful movie, um, of all time up until uh, Gone with the Wind came out, which is another movie that is on this list that we'll talk about and is another epic Civil War problematic movie. Which just goes to tell that good editing and good filmmaking can mask almost any content because holy and shit. And maybe the United States is a little more racist than, than we think, than we think or that entire, we realize. Like the, yeah, it makes you rethink all of Hollywood and all of film. Like... I don't know. This is like what it came from. I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about the plot maybe yeah. and kind of dive into some of that racism. Yeah, definitely. So the basic plot of this movie, it's it's told in two parts um, and both parts that follows these two families. So there's the Stoneman family in the north mm-hmm. where the patriarch of this family is a United States representative in Congress. Um, and he's apparently loosely based on Thaddeus Stevens, who... Um, was an abolitionist um, congressman um, in American history. And he, if you've seen the movie Lincoln with Daniel Day-Lewis, he's mm-hmm. portrayed by Tommy Lee Jones in that movie. Okay. Um, he's kind of this older, but like radi- more radical abolitionist that wants slaves to be freed. He wants to, them to be given the vote. He wants all of these things. And Lincoln is kind of the more moderate um voice that's trying to bring the country together and he's kind of the, the radical on they the refer side. to as the radical in this movie. in this movie yes okay and he is one of the villains of yeah, the movie is depicted hair. as the villain where it's got like the wig that doesn't quite fit he's kind of adjusting it uh-huh. he's got like a, his lower jaws like jutted out uh-huh. a little bit and if you look at actual pictures of um thaddeus stevens um let me see if i can pull one up while we're talking here he looks a lot like the guy um look at that 
So, oh, yeah. Okay, definitely. Yeah, he's got this jaw bust jutting out. Apparently, he actually wore a wig that, like, didn't fit quite well. And and uh, so okay. this guy is definitely meant to be this guy. Um, he... Um, so he's the patriarch of the Stoneman family in the north, and we also have the Cameron family in the south. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, there's a Romeo and Juliet, you know, aspect to this. The Montagues and the Capulets, these kind two of. families that shouldn't yeah. be together, but they're kind of friends before the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the Cameron sons is in love with Elsie Stoneman, mm-hmm. who is Lillian Gish or Jish or whatever mm-hmm. um, and he carries around a picture of her he's never met her but he sees this picture and he's in love with her and blah 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 blah. oh blah. yeah she's like the nurse in the uh, yes. war and she finds him and he's yes. like oh I know you I know you forever I got this picture and she's like what the hell you creep yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so the movie follows these two families uh-huh. one the northern family and the southern family part one is the civil war basically it starts off pre-civil war and then um, on the good part yeah. then then the civil war begins and you f- see the stonemans and the camerons enlist and they're fighting against one another mm-hmm. and you know it shows this is actually the part that i enjoyed mm-hmm. Me too. um there's a real anti-war message that kind of comes out pretty clear uh-huh. there are scenes where it's like and the war the title will say something like and the war the price of war is is shown and it shows these shots of these dead bodies in this Mm -hmm. battlefield and it is very effective i think yeah um and i think one of the more admirable parts of the movie that Mm -hmm. he's able to do this um the one of the camerons gets injured like you said and he's in this hospital he's captured by the north and he's in a northern hospital where he's tended to by this woman the stoneman daughter um, elsie stoneman who he has been in love with this whole time um and the mom goes to Abraham Lincoln to beg that he doesn't get killed. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, okay. And yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. This is a definitely a pro-Southern, pro-slavery kind of movie. Uh-huh. But they portray Abraham Lincoln as a pretty nice guy. Yeah. I was confused by that. I was expecting that to not be the case. Like, oh, he's going to turn them down so hard. And no. No. Abraham Lincoln's like, yeah, I will let him go. He won't. We won't kill him. Uh-huh. And so he gets to go home. And um, the North wins the Civil War, and the part one ends with John Wilkes Booth assassinating Abraham Lincoln uh-huh. at the Ford Theater. Yeah, um, which is a good, I think, a great actually sequence. I do too. The I the really tension that, yeah. you see them, the audience members, you see the the play, you see Lincoln, mm-hmm. you see the bodyguard leaves his post to go watch the play. You see Cameron and uh, Elsie Mm -hmm. uh, stand up in the crowd. They like applaud for Lincoln and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, like supportive of Lincoln. Definitely. And you know, as an audience member, what's coming. Yeah. And then you see John Wilkes (laughs) Booth and he goes in there and he shoots him and he jumps off and runs away and does all of that. Um, And it is, it is actually really effective and really exciting um, and, you know, dramatic. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where part one ends. Mm -hmm. Um, I really actually found myself enjoying part one and was like, I'm not bored with this. Same. There is blackface throughout. There's black. Yep. Um, it is there. It's uncomfortable to watch. Mm -hmm. Um, it's clearly racist, but it's at the same time, it's just, it's like, oh, it feels really modern. And it's the way that the narrative is structured and the, the story is progressing forward. Exactly. And yeah, that's what kind of scared me because like, okay, when are they going to slip it in? <laughs> How are they going to slip this message? I know it's coming. But yeah. no, that wasn't the focus of the first part. The first part was definitely setting up 
part two, which was just like the trouble of the reconstruction era and mm-hmm. it was just, you know, the turmoil and everything. And that's like where the real racism came. But at the beginning, yeah, you didn't get that at all. It felt like an old war movie and there's all those cool battle scenes where they're like in the trenches mm-hmm. and they're, you know, cannons and things, artillery or like, I don't know what it is, but they're, you know, firing off and um, all sorts of like fireworks. I was trying to think, I was like, how are they doing that? Like right. on this film, like they had like explosions and stuff in this film, like 1915, like they yeah. had special effects and all sorts of crazy stuff. And I think, I think I might've read this on some other movie that I was looking at, but I want to say that all of that is actual civil war, like artillery and like cannons, cannons and, stuff. and stuff like that really? authentic stuff. Um, I mean, I guess you did see, like, I mean, it's not like it was in focus or anything like that. It was just, like, flashes of light and stuff like that whenever uh, they had it on film. But, mm -hmm. I mean, still. And the battle sequences are really impressive. There's a lot of actors, a lot of extras, horses, Mm -hmm. and and the the production design, and just the, just coordinating all of that, I think, was really impressive for the time. This movie is 150. Four, 105 years old now. Yeah, it premiered nuts. in January of 1915. It's older than our grandpa. <laughs> yeah. 105 years old. Um, so, And some of these things are still kind of... They look so decent. Yeah. I mean, even now. Yeah. Um, I think the length of it um, wasn't as much of a factor to me as... I kind of compare it to the Game of Thrones books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really, really long books. Mm-hmm. But each chapter is pretty short yeah it was easy to chop up it uh, every it scene sense. here was pretty short uh-huh. it was pretty concise and they all had a purpose and built up to something yep and so it felt like the narrative was always driving definitely i wasn't sitting back and like what is this mm-hmm. like a lot of like more artsy films are like you know they're slow and methodical and if this had been like that i don't it know if i could have gotten through it yeah um, but it does drive. There was one thing that we did we forgot to mention. It's at the very beginning, the very, very verse, first scene, right after all of the titles and the D.W. Griffith, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. You know, he's just being dumb. Yeah. Being dumb. <laughs> the very first title um, is super racist. <laughs> the very first scene. I don't remember, know if you remember. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, it says, the, the very first scene, it says, um, after the credits and everything, it says, the, oh, the bringing part. of the African to America planted the first seed of disunion. And we see African slaves um, that show up and are like being lorded over by some white slave master even before that. We're kind of clicking through to, sh- to bring it up, but um, it's going to be shortly just after this. Um, but uh anyway so it's this super racist um opening scene it's that scene right there so and so um it is terrible and there's some of that music (laughs) yeah the bringing of the african to america planted the first seed of disunion with this musical cue of you know like all the low notes on a piano and then it just cuts to this what looks like here hit play again it cuts to this shot of some african slaves i would imagine they actually do look like 
african-american actors Mm -hmm. some of them and especially in the background might be white actors in blackface Mm -hmm. and then some guy who looks like he's praying over him i'm not sure what that guy's doing he's dressed like a weird pilgrim and then it fades out and then it goes to abolitionists you know and it kind of continues the story so slaves yeah right um so we're like i was i'm like okay here we go Mm -hmm. and then it kind of goes into I'm sad to say it, the kind of the more like basic racist tropes that we see where it's yeah. like the slaves happily working in the field oh, and things like that, those, yeah. the happy house slave kind mm-hmm. of things like that, that is, it's, it's sad, but it's so pervasive and I've seen it so many times. I wasn't, I didn't feel too shocked or offended by it, yep. which makes me upset that yeah. that is where yep. we are. Mm-hmm. But I was, ex- I guess it's partly, I was expecting so much worse. Mm-hmm that i was like okay i can stomach this i guess yeah but then it gets so much worse okay yes it does get so much because worse. we go into part two mm-hmm. um and act two is the reconstruction kind of era mm-hmm. so it's after lincoln's been assassinated and immediately um the stoneman um representative kind of takes power and says we are going to um all you know all the slaves are freed they all have the vote we are going to implement we're going to put them in charge and they're going to rule over the white people and you know it that's ca- the thaddeus guy right um no it's um oh yeah that that stoneman guy yeah, who's yeah, based yeah, on yeah. thaddeus stevens yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's his buddy is they use the very outdated term mulatto yeah okay i had to google <laughs> that because what the fuck it but is a super offensive outdated term that basically means half black half white yeah that character was just silas like, lynch yeah his last name is lynch yeah for, and um, silas too like what the sh- oh my god yeah and um, so he becomes the main villain of of part two yeah where he is he is stoneman's buddy who becomes due to um ballot stuffing <laughs> the black people are stuffing ballots they're shown stuffing ballots and giving extra votes and keeping white people from voting yeah they make them oh my god they make them look so terrible to make black like voters just the most evil and powerful they like instantly got control of everything in and this silas story. lynch gets and elected lieutenant governor yeah and it shows this is a shot of the newly elected Congress state representatives, and they are all black people that have their feet up on the desk with their shoes off, eating fried chicken, drinking liquor, and, and drinking out, yeah, liquor. And, and it is the most racist, offensive thing you will ever see. And they're just like voting on these things that are like, um, what is it like every time a white man passes a black man or a black officer or something like that he has to salute him and like they're passing all these like crazy things that are like trying to enrage the white community almost and to like make everyone seem that we need a hero like Mm -hmm. oh my gosh i can't believe you freed the slaves like they you know they're making our life so miserable Mm -hmm. poor me like i have it so hard oh man kind of echoes what we're going through it's like oh man my life's so hard i'm a, I'm a white male like nowadays mm-hmm. kind of bs that yeah yeah oh, and they eventually so legalize mixed race marriages yeah and that throws everybody over the top and that is that is the line That's in the it. sand nope, that not that, do that white people are like nope 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 and there is a black like man birth <laughs> yeah birth of a nation time, yeah, it's time. and bl- there's a black man who is another terrible caricature who is trying to 
have sex with a white this white woman i thought that was silas no it wasn't silas it's um silas because oh well there is that silas is like he, going after elsie silas is going after elsie and he wants ben to marry Cameron. her and he's like how dare you yeah um kind of a thing and but there is another black man who makes some sexual advances to a white woman who eventually um, jumps off a cliff oh, yeah, to guy. her death <laughs> yeah. instead of this guy, you know, assaulting her or something. And so she dies in the arms of Ben Cameron, who is depicted as the hero of the story. Yes, entirely. Um, he's, he's a famous th- actor. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't read time. too much about him. Okay. Um, but he's the one that was injured in the war and, and uh-huh. is in love with Elsie Stoneman. He was called the Little Colonel. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a and he was a hero of the south and he was injured and and captured and in the now he this she dies in his arms and he gets mad and what does he do? He's, he puts on a sheet. Oh yeah, and there's a scene in here that kind of explains the sheet. There's like two kids two That's white right. kids that are running away about this. from like some black kids, some like three little black children. And they like run and hide and they have a sheet and they throw a sheet over them and the black kids come up and they look at it and they're like, you know, like what the heck's going on? Why are they hiding under there? And then the little white kids like act like ghosts or something yeah, and the black chase kids them run off. away yeah. and chase them off. And then so Mr. Cameron over here is like, oh, I got an idea. Uh-huh. Hold on. So he goes <laughs> and gets go his sheet yeah. and uh, jumps on his horse and... Or you know what forms the Ku Klux Klan. Just gets a bunch of dudes with plungers on their heads and horses mm-hmm. and you know, burning crosses and And just, they go and capture this guy and they hold a trial for him. He is found guilty. They kill him and they throw him on to the front porch of Silas Lynch, the lieutenant governor, and ride away. And it this is depicted and meant to be depicted as a heroic good thing that mm-hmm. they have done not a terrible and the way they throw his body on on the porch and it, it falls like, like a, a rag doll yeah i mean it was a dummy but i mean just it's so yeah and you know they wake up in the morning and they see this dead body on in front of their house it is terrible and shocking and gruesome mm-hmm. and it is all depicted as this but- the music does not make heroic. you feel that way. The entire story doesn't make you feel that way, but you have to like sit there and consciously be like, why, why, why? Like, no, no, this is the wrong connotation for all of this. Like, oh my God, this is terrifying. Why did this film take this turn? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness. Couldn't this have been about like stopping war and, you know, having brothers and stuff like that? You know, no more fighting brothers, you know, this peace, like Abraham Lincoln, you know, at the beginning of he. He pardons them and, you know, mm-hmm. he shows peace. You think Ben Cameron would be a little bit more grateful for that? No, he's... Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess, you know, he did have that girl die in his arms who jumped off the cliff for being chased by the uh, black guy. And then I guess the love of his life, too. But His name is um, Gus. This this black man who it gets murdered by the Ku Klux Klan is named Gus. And because Gus is murder, Silas Lynch... Um, then orders, uh, he says that it, it is against the law to have um, this KKK outfit, uh-huh. basically. And there, there's someone spies on the in the Cameron house, and they see that there, it's in there. Mm-hmm. So they bust in, find the out the uniform, and they arrest not Ben Cameron, but his father, yeah. the doctor. He's a doctor, it's Cameron. Old, yeah, He's an old guy. man. He looks like Robert E. Lee or Santa Claus or kind yeah. of thing. Um, <laughs> long white hair, yeah. Long white hair, long white beard, and so he gets arrested. 
Um, and he's getting taken away. And one of the Stoneman's sons leads a charge to rescue him. So they go and they find out that he's been arrested and he's on his way to jail or be killed. I'm not certain. Mm. Um, but then one of the Stoneman's sons, the it goes and is like, that's not right. And he goes to, and they rescue him and they're, run, they're running away. And um, they're in a wagon and it breaks down mm-hmm. and they see a cabin in the woods and they there was some northern soldiers that were living in this cabin. Mm-hmm. Um, they were white and the... <laughs> They're white soldiers, but they're sympathetic to to their. They're basically racist. Yeah. So, um, the the and the also title racist. the the title of the scene is super racist. It's it's the former enemies of North and South are united again in common defense of their Aryan birthright. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember seeing that, and I was like, Oh no, where is this going? <laughs> yeah. So they're hiding out in this cabin in the woods, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um while silas lynch is trying to crack down on the ku klux klan Mm -hmm. and so they eventually get found in this hut and somehow i don't remember quite how but so they're being attacked and they're being threatened to be killed and the ku klux klan gets notified somehow and Mm -hmm. they all you know get on their horses and get back in their uniforms and ride and Mm -hmm. come galloping into the rescue and and rescue the Cameron family. And then at the end, they stand in front of the uh, voting booths pretty much, and they scare away all of the black voters. And that's and how the movie do. ends pretty much. Yeah. Is white people back and top on their rightful place and black people back on the bottom, back in their rightful place mm-hmm. as things, as the movie says, things should be. Uh-huh. And yeah, the, the KKK is on their horses um, preventing them, the black people from voting. Mm-hmm. Um, like on white horses, some of them. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but and then it ends with a double. From there, it goes into a double marriage of two of the. Um, one of the Cameron sons marries the Stoneman daughter, and mm-hmm. the Stoneman son marries the Cameron daughter. Mm-hmm. And then you have those superimposed images of Jesus looking over the crowd of All people. All the clansmen, or oh, no, it was the weddings. It's a double wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's. That's uh, how the movie ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is horrible and shocking, and and it, you know it starts off racist, it ends racist, and there's a lot of racist in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so this movie was super well received, as I said, super successful. Um, audiences were cheering when the KKK was riding on their horses to come rescue the Cameron family. Yeah. Um, they were standing up and cheering throughout the movie. Um, these were the, the, you know, there's a reason why it was successful and it's because a lot of people thought this way. Yeah. Which is um, scary. Having said that, a lot of people didn't think this way too. The uh-huh. NAACP of the time was leading protests um, to picket lines and things outside of theaters where it was being shown in an effort to get it stopped from being shown. Um, it sounds like things you'd see in the 60s, in the civil rights era, mm-hmm. of like sit-ins and things like that, of just how mobilized people were against the movie as well. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it didn't prevent um, much of this movie from still being successful and shown. It's also notable for being the first movie ever screened in the White House. President Woodrow Wilson, um, who is quoted in the movie Uh um, with some real racist quotes. I don't have them, but some text history because he was a history professor at Princeton, I believe, before he was 
uh, president of the United States. Um, so he has some history texts that were written about his views on reconstruction um, mm-hmm. shared were very similar to this movie. And apparently, it, you know, he was the first movie shown inside the White House and he was present. And, and there's some quotes that he's given, but they're kind of, um, what's the word, in dispute. Like the people aren't really actually sure if he said these things or gotcha. not about the movie. Uh-huh. Um, it was super popular, super controversial, and continues to be to this day. It's just scary, you know, modern times. I was, I was, I always like to relate movies to, you know, my own personal life. That's, you know, how I engage in movies and things like that. And I was telling, I talked about this movie's older than grandpa. You know, grandpa was born in 1919 mm-hmm. and it's hard for me to begin with to like place myself in movies that I don't like, I know, I knew grandpa, so I knew what he was like. I could kind of sort of begin to think you know, try to put myself in his shoes and try to see what life was maybe back whenever he was young. Mm-hmm. But like this movie was before him and all the Civil War stuff. So it's history. <laughs> so it's hard for me to do. But it just is like very relatable to current times and to our current political climate, sadly. 100%. And like, it's just, it was so scary. You know, like there's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's just voter suppression. Like it's like, this is like a documented widespread it's almost propaganda i mean this is a propaganda film Mm -hmm. i mean i haven't seen it but i've heard lots of comparisons and a lot of articles i've read to the triumph of the will is lynching and it promotes voter suppression Mm -hmm. and it's like just fear mongering and you know overt racism and Mm -hmm. and all sold to you wrapped in gift wrapped with a bow tie with beautiful filmmaking and like revolutionary of the time filmmaking which is just it goes to show how effective this form of communication is. And it just also is just sad that it's this thought and this like mindset, this ideology is still so prevalent today mm-hmm. and it's still an issue that we face today. Mm-hmm. Like, if, but like this, like, I got on a point to be like, this is the reason why, but oh, holy shit, like this is a lot of the reason why, like a lot of these messages are still around. Like what David Duke requires this for everybody in the Ku Klux Klan to watch before they come. It's like initiation yeah, it or was, something like that. Yeah. David Duke of the, this movie is credited with being directly responsible for the revival of the Ku Klux Klan during the, the 19 teens and the twenties. I mean, it's basically um, their Avengers. I mean, not really their Avengers, but it's like a superhero movie for them. I'm yeah, sure. And David Duke used the head of the Ku Klux Klan used this movie as a propaganda piece up through the 60s per, to promote he would sc- he would screen it at KKK meetings and he would dissect it and analyze it and they would talk about it and it was it was their movie yeah um, it this movie was so successful it yeah like I said it led to the revival of the Ku Klux Klan at the time so who's knowing how many deaths yeah. and how much violence is indirectly related to this movie I think there was something like I saw I read and I'm not sure I need to go back and check it but there was like a crazy uprise of lynchings immediately after the movie was released. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. I mean, just considering the subject matter of this movie and how um, riled up it got people or how excited people were when they watched yeah. it and what were they excited for, but racism and validation. Yeah, and even validation today, their what are you seeing? Yeah. Charlottesville. You're seeing yep. neo Nazis and the KKK marching in the streets again. And they're validation is you know from, from certain people yeah, where, um, yeah. <laughs> you know and you know in certain political offices that are validating their their views mm-hmm. of that white people should be on top 
and you know all people of color should be below and you know inciting violence when needed you know you know as some people have you know mm-hmm. a certain political leader has said that i'm sure there were some good people in there too um this <laughs> no. is this, this it doesn't matter if there's good people or not in it like this type of message doesn't need to be no, and these all. views that were here in this movie in 1915 that were controversial then are still being propagated today. Yeah, and are there's almost no difference. No difference. Maybe this. No maybe difference. it's a. Same it tactics. seems a little more underground nowadays. Like if a movie like this came out, it wouldn't make 1.8 billion dollars no probably. Way. Yeah, but <laughs> probably I don't want to say for sure, <laughs> but. You know, these views are still here and people, maybe it's just more hush hush. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't as excited or willing to go talk about them, but mm-hmm. people still feel them. People still believe them. And Definitely, it's yeah. disgusting. It's disgusting. Um, that's what really, I mean, that's what makes it tough to like analyze this movie or to think critically about this movie is, I mean, you can't take politics out of it. You can't take the historical, you know, time. I mean, the, uh, yeah, historical context out of it it's just you can't take the director out of it i mean he's like mm-hmm. you know he's like i take credit of this yeah this is me i take credit for this like mm-hmm. damn straight like it's just so proud and so confident like yeah it would be absolutely horrifying if something like this was made nowadays but like yeah i, I don't know i'm i bet you that there is something similar like mm-hmm. I, I bet you there's a new a remake or something, an underground remake of this film or some bullshit um, like that. This movie is also credited with being the first movie that had a sequel. Yeah, which it are we going to watch next? No, okay. we're not watching this movie <laughs> Good, because one, we can't watch the movie. It's considered to be a lost film. Oh, thank God. It was directed and written by Thomas Dixon Jr., okay. the original writer of the book and play, mm-hmm. um, and it was called The Fall of a Nation. Um, and it's considered to be a lost film and it was a failure at the time and is not held in high regard at all. Um, and um, D.W. Griffith went on. He was upset at the pe- at the attempts to people to shut down this movie and he went on to make a movie called Intolerance, which is the movie That's what we will be yes. watching and dissecting for episode two of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a note, that movie is also in the public domain, so okay. it should be free to watch anywhere. Um, also silent. Also silent, also about three hours long. Yeah. <laughs> and, but he also went on to form United Artists. Um, off of the success of Birth of a Nation, he was able to almost self, completely self-finance the, his next movie. And he went and created United Artists with Charlie Chaplin, Mary Pickford, and Douglas Fairbanks. <laughs> I was like, um, the theaters? <laughs> no, it was, a, it was a movie studio that was run by gotcha. these actors and this director, um, who were the kind of the big stars of the time. Um, and like I said, it was move. This movie was used as a recruiting tactic and a recruiting tool for the KKK all the way through the sixties. Um, it was, cons- it was on the 1998, the original AFI top 100 list at number 44 for the 10th anniversary list. It was removed and that's intolerance was re- what replaced it onto the, on there. Okay. So um, we get to watch the replacement one next. Yes. Okay. Um, Final thoughts on The Birth of a Nation? Well, I think we should try to rate this movie, attempt to rate this movie. Um, I don't know. After this conversation, I almost want to, well, take it out of the 100 for sure. Oh, yeah. But, like, there was an article. I, I definitely don't recommend it. 
I, I can't recommend it either. But there was an article, I think, that sums up really well. It was titled, I don't remember what publication it was in, but I read it for this podcast, and it was called The Birth of a Nation. The worst part of it is how good it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this is my final thoughts. Whenever I watched this movie and I was getting ready for this podcast, this is what I had to say about it. I said, one, fuck this movie. Mm-hmm. Two, fuck this movie. <laughs> like, it's it was undeniably good. I don't know. It's just the technique, the technique, the quality of it. It it, it stands the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, for a silent film like that is a damn good silent film. Like mm-hmm. that is a, it's a good film, mm-hmm. but it is not a good film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I do not recommend it. I don't think that this message, the content of this movie, needs to be completely ignored, forgotten, mm-hmm. erased, even buried, <laughs> buried in buried, the sand, yeah, burned, destroyed. Like, mm-hmm. but if we could have just changed this story and like kept this, if this was like OG. Uh, you know, like Saving Private Ryan or like just some cool old war movie or some like, you know, like superhero movie. It had a different part two and it started off with the war and the romance and everything. And then it, it evolved into something more human and peaceful and beautiful and supporting the message of the first part. Then I would give this movie a plus. It should be in the top 100, no doubt. But mm-hmm. it is just on the wrong side of history and it needs to be it needs to be forgotten. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it needs to be refuted. Refuted. Need, okay, maybe not forgotten. That's a good, that's a better word. The ideas of it need to be shut down for, and, and labeled for what they are, which is stupid, violent, and just all around terrible. Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, the subject matter of this movie is shockingly bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the technique and the craftsmanship behind almost every aspect of this movie is shockingly good. Um, so good. And that's one of the things that why it stands the test of time is that you can see how almost almost every movie that follows this is building off of something from here. Yeah. You can see how the 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 like I said at the beginning of the podcast, the language of film is being developed developed yeah. in this move, and it's it's so clear in this movie. Um, I think that from a historical perspective. Um, it's an important movie to look at for, like I said, the technique and the shocking cultural place that the country was in then. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of respects still is to this day. Yeah. And, and if, and I would never recommend spending money on this. Never. Um, don't support anything. But so thank God it's in the public domain. You can just jump on YouTube or whatever to watch clips of it and just, and look at things like that and study the tech, look at it for the technique mm-hmm. and and look at it for how horrible it is, yep. but it's nothing of this should be, should be praised or looked at because I am certain that there are other movies that showcase the same techniques and this and the same language development of film that are not racist. Yeah, this should be watched for like film history courses, and you know you could even do clips. You don't even need to watch the entire thing. Maybe do it if you're like a really rigorous film history course. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand that, but. Yeah, unless you're like studying film, there's no need to watch this. Like there, or if even if you are studying film, like you can learn these same techniques from films that came out a couple of years later. Like mm-hmm. you know, they they came back and back. They keep using the same things over and over again. One thing that you were just saying that does it is scary about this is that you said you wouldn't spend any money 
on watching this and you don't recommend anybody spending any money but people spent a shit ton of money on it back mm-hmm. then and you know it was valued you were saying close to one point something billion 1.8 billion estimates of today's dollars okay so that's just terrifying because imagine like they had that money like people who liked this type of film liked this type of message had that type of money in this industry back then what's to say that it, they still don't have like people like that with those ideas still don't hold that kind mm-hmm. of power on like the the messages that we get mm-hmm. so this was kind of an eye-opening thing for me there's like the history of film may not be as clean and perfect and awesome as i uh you know had hoped and clearly it's not mm-hmm. um but all in all i don't know i i may if i didn't get like thrown out or if it, like didn't get kicked out of the oscars like if this movie was out i bet you would win something i would i'd maybe give it like best editing or some like best technical award I, yeah, the technical aspects of this movie are, you know... Like, I get what makes remarkable. it great. I get why it was on the top yeah. 100. The, like, we come, thank you for coming back. The, the title is of this podcast is What Makes It Great, and I think we both understand a little bit of why, why this is considered to be a great movie. Um, but it's so depressing that it is. I'm glad it was taken off. I'm glad that people asked the question, what makes it terrible Mm -hmm. that was a more important question in this in this case because you're just so easily distracted by what makes it great and that's the filmmaking the production behind it the you know all of the work and all the techniques and boy did we pick the probably the most difficult movie to talk about (laughs) to start off our our podcast journey um there are so many challenging things about this movie um and i i'm hopeful the next ones are easier (laughs) yeah i'm hopeful that from here on out it'll be a little easier um i do know that there's probably going to be continue to be problematic things especially early on um but hopefully nothing nearly as bad as this dw is just gonna oh man at the beginning of the next movie i don't know what his slides are gonna say this is gonna be bad (laughs) yeah the next so that is it for this episode the next episode of our podcast will be discussing dw griffith's 1916 movie more here intolerance (laughs) which he created as a direct response to people's attempts to censor what he felt were censorship attempts of his movie the birth of a nation um so we will be looking at that movie that again that movie is also in the public domain and you should be able to find it on youtube so if you would like to watch that movie before we discuss it go ahead and search for it on the internet and we will talk about that movie next time um but my name is andy fernandez and i'm michael fernandez thank you guys for listening to us and uh, we'll catch you next time yeah we'll catch you next time on what makes it great 